0: Hello, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Rosie. And I'm Cathy. And today, well, today we were theoretically going to be looking at the bonnie banks of Loch Lomond, which is a well-known song, and we have done. We also covered a lot of things related to it. Yeah.
1: We generally looked into the history of the Jacobites and Culloden and the Highland Clearances and covered a lot of songs and poems surrounding that whole piece of history. And with a particular focus on tracking down the origins of the Loch Lomond that we all know. Um, We hope you enjoy. We hope that it's not too many songs (laughs) (laughs) um, read aloud by me. Um, But yeah, thank you for listening. Enjoy. So first we're going to read the traditional version of Loch Lomond that is sung at weddings and that most people know. And then we're going to read a variant and also throw in Sky Boat Song because it's got some overlap in the kind of characters and the events that it's talking about. Um, Okay, so this is the traditional version and it goes by yon bonny banks and by yon bonny braes where the sun shines bright on Loch Lomond, where me and my true love were ever wont to gay on the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond, oh ye'll tack the high road, and I'll tack the low road, and I'll be in Scotland afore ye, but me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond. Twas there that we parted in yon shady glen on the steep, steep side of Ben Lomond, where in purple hue and hehen hills we view and the moon coming out in the gloaming, and then, ah, it does the chorus again, and then it's the wee birdies sing and the wildflowers spring and in the sunshine the waters are sleeping but the broken heart it kens nae second spring though the wafer may cease frae their greeting so hopefully most people will be familiar with that one and then we have a different version which is a romantic version and. This one goes, wither away my bonny bonny May so late and so far in the gloamin', the mist gathers grey o'er moorland and Bray. O, whither a art thou roamin'? I trusted my ain love the neck in the broom, my Donald, while loves me say dearly, for the morrow he marches for Edinburgh toon, to fetch for the king and Prince cheerly. Yet why weep ye say, my bonny bonnie May, your true love from battle returning? His darling will claim at the height o' his fame, And change into gladness or mourning. O weal may I weep, ye in my sleep, We stood bride and bridegroom together, But his lips and his breath were as chilly as death, And his heart's blood was reed on the heather. O dauntless in battle, as tender in love, He'd yield ne'er a foot to the foeman, And never again through the field o' the slain, To Moira he'll come, and loch Lomond. He'll tack the high road, and I'll tack the low, and I'll be in heaven afore him, for my bed is prepared in yon mossy graveyard mang the hazels o' green in Verarnan. The thistle shall bloom and the king he is ain, and fond lovers meet in the Glowman, but I and my true love shall never meet again by the bonny-bonny banks of Loch Lomond. So there we go, and then, so that's what this episode will mainly be about, and I'm just gonna quickly <laughs> Also read Sky Boat Song because I like it and because it's relevant and we're looking at a lot of different songs and poems this episode. So Um, so Sky Boat Song goes, Speed Bonnie boat like a bird on the wing, Onward the sailors cry, Carry the lad that's born to be king, Over the sea to sky. Loud the winds howl, Loud the waves roar, Thunderclaps rend the air, Baffled our foes stand by the shore, Follow they will not dare. Many's the lad fought on that day, while the claymore did wield. When the night came, silently lay, dead on Culloden's field. Though the waves leap, soft shall ye sleep, ocean's a royal bed. Rocked in the deep, flora will keep, watch by your weary head. Burned are their homes, exile and death, scatter the loyal men. Yet ere the sword cool in the sheath, Charlie will come again. There we go. There you. Go. <laughs> yeah, so the recurring characters we have, though it's not uh it's not as clear clear from the traditional version of Loch Lomond, but the recurring characters are Bonnie Prince Charlie, um Flora mm-hmm. and um I guess the Jacobite Rebellion, Culloden, and the Highlanders that died. Um so yeah, we, we thought we would go a bit into the history first, before we got into the analysis.
0: Yes, so we, we divided the work up for this episode, <laughs> um, I'm providing the history section of this. Um, so as is the case with a lot of recent history. Obviously it's all about royalty and succession and legitimate versus illegitimate children generally and things like that. So, cast your mind back to 1700s, late 1600s. And essentially you have James who is the new son of the reigning monarch who is A Catholic family. England at this time and Scotland is majority Protestant. They're very upset about this. They invite the king's nephew, no, sorry, the king's son in law and his daughter to come and take over instead. So the king and his son get booted over to France basically for being Catholic. Um, Obviously, there's political and economic things going on in the background but faith is part of the story. They leave, they go to the French court and England now has a Protestant monarchy again. This newborn son is Bonnie Prince Charlie's father who grows up in exile and throughout this kind of period, so like I said from late 1600s to Mid 1700s, there's a group of people who want the Catholic monarchy to come back and take over for a lot of varied reasons, partly because there are laws in place preventing Catholics holding any kind of civil positions of power, like they're not allowed to be admirals in the army, they're not allowed in parliament, they're not allowed to vote. Um, So yes, there's a lot of political things in the background. But anyway, so Bonnie Prince Charlie and his father have a couple of rebellions, well try and create a couple of rebellions that might give them back the crown of Great Britain. All of these are unsuccessful. The most famous one is the one that begins in 1745 and This one was partly and very, very partly supported by the French court who were in a war with England in Europe. So this seemed like a good distraction, basically, to cause problems in their home turf. So Bonnie Prince Charlie lands in Scotland. He starts to try and gather up an army from the clans. And at first, They don't think he has quite enough support, so it's a bit of a slow start. Eventually it picks up some pace, and by Christmas of 1745, they've made their way into North England. At this point, it's winter, there don't seem to be enough rebellions from the English countryside, enough support to keep it going, so they begin to retreat back to Scotland. Now, at this point, the English army is recalled from the wars in the continent, some of it, and it's about twice the size of the Jacobite army at this point. Then the decisive battle at the end of this rebellion is in April 1746, which is the Battle of Culloden, which a lot of people have vaguely heard of, um, which is in Outlander, if anyone watches that, and I think is. Well, as we've discussed, preparing for this was probably one of the main ways people heard about it in recent history Mm. and pop culture. But anyway, so there's a lot of debate about why they were defeated at the Battle of Clodden. Some of it seems to be that there was a night raid planned by the Jacobite army. Um failed because the English camp was apparently further away than they'd expected. So they got most of the way there, realised the sun was starting to come up and had to get back and obviously were then exhausted. So there's suggestions that, you know, a couple of thousand soldiers maybe were just asleep in nearby fields during the battle because they'd been marching all night. Um, It was also a really marshy field and some people say well it was the fault of Bonnie Prince Charlie for choosing this field and other people say well it was to do with his advisors that chose the field and as with historical battles we'll never really know whose fault it was um, or who made the choice. But anyway, point being a lot of the soldiers die in Culloden, a lot of the Jacobite soldiers. A lot of this is also to do with the fact that the English army was a professional army, so they were soldiers who were very well trained. The Jacobite army were, you know, peasants and farmers primarily from the Highlands. That's that's the point of it being a people's rebellion. But anyway, so they lose the battle. The generals and Bonnie Prince Charlie decide to give up. And try and escape. And then this is where Flora comes in. He is on the run from April and then Flora joins this part of the story in that Bonnie Prince Charlie is hiding out in various islands in the Outer Hebrides and she seems to support him despite not being Part of the Catholic side of the family. Um, but anyway, her father is involved in leading the patrols that are looking for him in the Outer Hebrides. She manages to get some travel permits for herself and for a maid and for some soldiers to take them over to Skye, which is useful because it's a lot closer to the mainland, and so he could... You know, escape more easily from there. They get the permits, and he is dressed up as her Irish maid, and is called Betty Burke. And they escape onto sky. Uh, then they never see each other again. That's the end of the story between Flora and Bonnie Prince Charlie. She is arrested two weeks later. Um, and is held in prison for a year or two. And then is freed, partly because people love the romantic story, it seems. Even the new heir to the throne, so <laughs> who, you know, his family were endangered by mm. this. <laughs> but the legend goes that she said to him that she did it out of kind of charity and respect for the monarchy and would have done the same for him. And mm. he's like, you know what? Fair. I love this. <laughs> um, so also helps petition for her freedom which she's given. She moves to North America, doesn't have a great time there, moves back to Skye eventually. Um, and then that's the end of Flora, and there's a big debate about kind of whether she's well known enough and given her dues in this story. Then there's also some debate of actually how much how many congratulations does she actually deserve? Because there's some suggestion that her stepfather, who was in charge of the patrols, was also on Bonnie Prince Charlie's side anyway and had told him where to be to avoid the patrols. So, you know, we're not quite sure how much danger she was in, but we know that she was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Long story short. Um, So go Flora MacDonald.
1: Yay. (laughs) So now that we've, like, covered that I just want to um, revisit some of the lines in the songs that we just read just to just to point point out um, so in like the traditional version um, that has the classic you'll tack the high Road and I'll tack the low road and I'll be in Scotland before you um, it's not very it's not very specific about what it's about. But there's a kind of pervading piece of folklore that, um, holds that it's about two Jacobite soldiers who were captured and thrown into Carlisle jail by English soldiers. And one was to be executed and the other was to be set free. Mm -hmm. So the high high road is to return on foot to Scotland and the low road is to return like after death. that's definitely not true. <laughs> Everyone's very sure that that is not <laughs> what the song is about. Um, <laughs> but that that's kind of what the folklore is about, what it's about. Um, and then we have the romantic version, which is, um, I think, quite clearly about the the wife or the lover of a Jacobite soldier who who's called Donald and she never sees him again because he's gone, you know, for the morrow he marches for Edinburgh to fetch for the king and Prince Charlie and in this one he'll tack the high road and I'll tack the low, I'll be in heaven for him. Not quite sure if it can mean the same thing because yeah. Uh, I think it's maybe to suggest That the high road might be dying in battle And the low road might be However she's dying Maybe of a broken heart um, But it's kind of That particular read of what High and r- high road and low road means Doesn't really carry over to this version
0: And um, does not work as well Especially her saying That she'll be in heaven yeah. Before him Because I was wondering if High Road, if we're kind of implying hanging, you know, um, but even then it makes no sense if he's about to be hung, Mm -hmm. especially from her perspective for an honourable and noble cause, then he'd be the one in heaven before her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it's hard to say. Um... And then that, that then kind of calls into question, you kind of wonder, well, then does, does taking the high road and the low road and being in Scotland before you in the traditional version, Mm -hmm. does that even mean what like the general consensus? Yeah. 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 Um, so we can maybe talk more about this, um, later. Um, and then one last thing, just. Draw your attention back to the Skyboat song, and that's probably the last time we'll talk about that song. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, you've got, though the waves leap, soft shall you sleep, ocean's a royal bed, rocked in the deep, Flora will keep watch all your weary head. So there we have Flora and Prince Charlie crossing over to Sky. So <laughs> um, it ended up being quite a task to try and track down. Where the lyrics come from, whether there's any sort of quote unquote original version um and and things like that, and so the romantic version is quoted kind of several places across the internet as being the original version that is somehow older than the traditional version
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it was really, really hard to verify at all where it came from and For a while, it was looking like some musicians last century might have just invented it. (laughs) I did track it down eventually, um, Mm. but yeah, we'll get to that. So back to the traditional lyrics. I saw several references that said that the song first appears in a book called Vocal Melodies of Scotland that was published in 1841. I found this book. And it's not in it. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, oh, the joys of research. <laughs> so like, as a disclaimer, I couldn't see anywhere on. So it was it was an archived um, scan of a copy of the book, and it was clearly very old and yellowed. But I couldn't see anywhere on the book a date of publication. Mm-hmm. So unless this is a different old book called Vocal Melodies of Scotland that contains traditional Scottish songs, Loch Lomond's not in there. And not only that, is that the book isn't filled with lyrics, it's filled with sheet music
0: mm-hmm. that that doesn't
1: have lyrics with it.
0: Yes, I've seen references to that book yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> concerning that everyone's referencing this book and it's not even in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, hmm.
1: Yeah, so like... And unless Loch Lomond or Bonnie Banks mm-hmm. is in that book under a completely different name, because I couldn't read the whole book to find it. Of course. Because um, that would have required reading the sheet music as well, because there's no lyrics. Yeah. So unless it's under in there under a completely different name, as far as I can see, it's not in there. It's not, it's not on the contents page. It's not mentioned.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So... <laughs> So the next book that I ended up going to, because again someone said it was in here, mm-hmm. <laughs> is called The Poets and Poetry of Scotland from the Earliest to the Present Time by James Grant Wilson, published in 1876. There are hundreds and hundreds wow. and hundreds of poems and songs in there, and Loch okay. and Lomond is not
0: in there. <laughs> At least by that name. Again, I guess we have to do the disclaimer that we haven't read every single poem.
1: Exactly. At least by that name. But I basically, I read, so I read the whole contents and I read every single poem that had kind of anything to do with the Jacobites or Mm -hmm. like mention of Banks and Brays, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I did not find it. (laughs) It's not there. I read (laughs) uh, read volume one (laughs) and volume two. It's not there. (laughs) (laughs) unless i missed
0: it but it's not there hmm. um Mm -hmm. however there is a turnaround in this research story yeah i promise
1: i get there eventually yeah but i did pick some poems from that collection um some jacobite poems because they featured familiar characters and also some lines that were sort of eerily familiar Um, Mm -hmm. so the first one I wanted to read a couple of verses from it's called Donald MacDonald and it's by James Hogg Um, none of the poems are dated um, but we have the sort of lifetime of the author which is 1770 to 1835 Um, so this is like someone born in the 1970s writing about World War II basically Mm -hmm. so this poem Donald MacDonald The reason I picked it is because um, several kind of pieces of folklore claim that the Jacobite soldier that Loch Lomond is about is Donald MacDonald and he was the one who's imprisoned in Carlisle. And sometimes they also say it's him singing about his love for Bonnie Prince Charlie. So um, I just selected a couple of these um, verses because I did think that they had some. They had a bit of a familiar ring to them. So one goes, I down abide to see the moon. Blink o'er the glen, say clearly, any own a bonny face she shone, a face that I loved dearly. And when beside yon water clear, and e'en I'm lonely roaming, I sigh and thank if ain was here, how sweet would father the gloaming. And mm-hmm. then, a few verses later, it goes, May still thy heart be kind and true, and ither maids excelling. May heaven distill its purest dew around thy rural dwelling. May flowerets spring and wild birds sing around thee late and early. And off to thy remembrance bring the lad that loved thee dearly. So this kind of, this poem is more about clearly Donald singing to his love. Yeah. Um, But I just wanted to like highlight the line, may flowerets spring and wild birds sing. Because we get that, we get that kind of line later in Loch Lomond as the Wee Birdies Sing and the Wildflowers Spring. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of notable that this guy, James Hogg, he was a very respected poet in his time. He published collections about um, like, poetry specifically centred around the Jacobites. Um, and so I don't think it would be too unlikely if some of his writing might have influenced... Um, later kind of compositions
0: Yes because especially if what you can find is the melody under a different name potentially in mm. these books it might well be that his poems influence the lyrics that people then put to a fairly well known tune Yeah um, But it's interesting uh, for all of our listeners and myself who are not Scottish um for example, what is gloaming?
1: Gloaming is the dusk, uh-huh. so it's the okay. time time exactly between nighttime and daytime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I think someone once said to me, I don't know if this is like correct, but someone kind of said to me, it's because in that kind of half light, the world kind of takes on a sort of magical glow. Yep, and it's okay. related to that. James Hogg has another poem called Bonnie Prince Charlie, and I do think it's mm-hmm. a really good representation of how people felt about Bonnie Prince Charlie,
0: and the sort of romanticisation of it. Which, uh, it uh, occurs to me, we probably should mention this as well, so after Culloden, there was something called the Highland Clearances. Mm-hmm. So basically, the English army, I think it's fair to classify it as revenge, potentially, Um, are very, very ruthless against the Scottish population. One of the English generals involved in Culloden was then known as the Butcher because of how many people were killed afterwards, Uh, particularly soldiers, but also... I think some people would call it a campaign of terror Mm. against the country for rebelling. Um, A lot of clan life is shut down and made illegal a lot of Scottish people move to America precisely because life in Scotland is untenable.
1: They they Essentially, they pay the landlords to replace people with sheep because sheep are more profitable than crofters. And so they just have no choice, really.
0: Yeah. And then, so because of that, there's a lot of grief to do with the fact that they've lost the chance in their eyes for the one true king to come back and they've also completely lost their original way of life
1: mm-hmm. i wanted to kind
0: of verify it like because i was
1: kind of taught in school tartan was banned bab- bagpipes were banned mm-hmm. Gaelic was banned all this kind of thing and um so the main act that affected it was the high like i think it was like the highland dress act and that was in place for 28 years from mm-hmm. um after Culloden. And the main, kind of, gist of it was they felt like Highland dress was martial dress and they wanted to discourage any, um, just anything to do with war or um, that sort of thing. And so they outlawed Highland dress for men and boys, not for women. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I don't think it would have mattered if you can go to prison for wearing Highland
0: dress. I don't think you're going to be like, well, it doesn't actually say that... It doesn't actually include my nice tartan skirt. Yeah. Um. Because I'm a lady. No, it, yeah. you know, it shuts it down for the whole community.
1: Yeah. And by the time the act was repealed, it, the damage was kind of done. Like, yeah. It it was done. People had kind of lost lost their connection to like their old way of life and that kind of thing and tartan and highland dress and clans and all this kind of stuff it doesn't come back until queen victoria decides that she likes it Mm -hmm. and that is when we invent the concept of clan tartan because it didn't really exist before (laughs) tartans existed but it wasn't really like so defined by clan and that was kind of a victorian thing Yes, because
0: so. previously you just you had the dye colours that you had, and everyone was using the same ones because everyone's using the same kinds of resources because we all live in the same climate.
1: Yeah, and so, like, what's kind of of note is that most of these poets that I'm reading from, um, although they didn't live through Culloden, they lived through all of the aftermath, and for example, with James Hogg. The highland clearances started before he was born and they ended after he died mm-hmm. so like they may not have lived through culloden but um they certainly lived through the aftermath lament for culloden by alexander belfer and he lived from 1767 to 1829 uh so it goes Alas for the land of the heath-covered mountains, where raves the loud tempest and rolls the dark flood. Alas for the land of the smooth crystal fountains, the sword of the slayer has stained them with blood. Ah me for the nation so famous in story, where valor and freedom and loyalty shone. They gathered around the bright star of their glory, but faded their laurels, their glory is gone. Weep Caledonia, mourn for the fallen. Um, and I- I'm going to carry on reading, but I just wanted to interject that um, this poem is full of a lot of exclamation marks, and a lot of it seems to be commanding the reader to be sad and to be angry about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes, his banner unfurled, in splendor was streaming. the son of the mighty the sons of the mighty were gathered around, their bucklers and broadswords in brightness were gleaming, and high beat each heart at the loud pibroke sound. They came to Culloden, the dark field of danger. Oh, why will not memory the record efface? Alas for their leader, the gallant young stranger, and woe to the traitors who wrought the disgrace. Weep, Caledonia, mourn for the fallen. Alas for the heroes whom death has enshrouded, yet not for the valiant mighty I weep. When darkness was lowering, their sun set unclouded. And loud was the war shout that lulled them asleep, their turf the gay spring which rich verdure shall cover the sweet flower of summer in fragrance shall bloom in the mist from the mountains bright spirits shall hover the shades of the shades of their fathers shall glide o'er the tomb weep caledonia mourn for the fallen alas for the stranger by fortune forsaken who pillows his head on the heath blossomed hill from dreams of delight with the day to awaken his cheek pale and wet with the night dew so chill Alas for my country, her glory's departed. No more shall the thistle its purple bloom wave. But shame to the coward, the traitor false-hearted, and barren the black-sod be on his grave. Weep, Caledonia, weep for the fallen. So, uh, he feels quite strongly about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he kind of, I think you get like a real sense that people did that this was the end, like it was just the end for Scotland and we weren't going back anymore.
0: Yes. Um, I guess as an interesting piece of trivia to point out how relevant it still is, it was only in 2015 that the law, that the spouse of the monarch could be Catholic was repealed. Wow. and. There is still a law that the monarch of Great Britain cannot be Catholic. That's still mm. in place. Um, they have this.
1: They have this whole thing where they're head of the church, and that that's um, yeah a specific church.
0: Yeah, it's the uh, the Church of England. Mm-hmm. And you know, people might say, well, that's a minor thing nowadays. <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. There's a reason that we talk about legal discrimination and things like that. Mm. Um, These things matter. They're still in place, even though all of this was happening in the 1700s. And it's not like Scotland has really recovered a huge amount of economic Mm. and social independence.
1: Yeah. I mean, the... And the Highlands, to this day, are considered... A wilderness yeah and that just wasn't the case before the Highland Clearances they were highly populated Mm -hmm. like people live there and to this day they're still wilderness and they also are very barren because a lot like the land had to be cleared to make way for sheep you need grazing for sheep Mm -hmm. you know it didn't the, the kind of iconic look of the Scottish Highlands that's not really
0: like that old really yeah it's false um in a sense mhm and it's uh, it happened artificially people mm-hmm. didn't want to leave um and in fact it's quite you know all, all the folklore that we have about Bonnie Prince Charlie ends with him sailing off into the mists from Scotland basically mm-hmm. but he then has at least from the sounds of the bits of history that i've read not a great life and essentially becomes an alcoholic and his wife leaves him and he doesn't have any contact with his only uh, daughter that survives till adulthood until he's basically dying because he's just you know he he kind of chooses to abandon her and isolate himself Mm -hmm. i think there is you get a feeling, at least, that there's a lot of hopelessness. So now we kind
1: of get to um, tracking down the original log moment or the sort of first first instances we have of it being written down. Um, and I want to <laughs> give a shout out to the people on the website. I think it's Mudcat. Um who have been writing on a forum about the Loch Lomond song since 1999 and are still (laughs) writing about it (laughs) because a lot of what they mentioned led me to the books and stuff that I was then able to find what I was looking for in. Mm. Okay, so, um, from a 1971 edition of a periodical called The Piping Times, um, which... Is periodical aimed at pipers, I imagine. Presumably, <laughs> it had some adverts for like piping gear in between the stuff. <laughs> um, so they establish that an air called "Kind Robin Loves Me" uh, was set to the tune of Loch Lomond before Loch Lomond. Mm. Um, the first mention of "Kind Robin Loves Me" is from 1692 in the first edition of Scotch Presbyterian Eloquence. The first record of the Melody for Kind Robin uh, first appears in McGibbon's collection of Scots tunes 1742 on page 36. Oh. Um, so on the versions, they say that the original version was printed and sold by W. McNee bookseller Sterling. The broadsheet bears no date but was published about 1825. The words bear not the slightest resemblance to the well-known version of today. I'm a bit like, I wish you could have shown me the words, because if they don't bear the slightest resemblance, how do you know that it's the first version and not something different set to the same yeah. tune?
0: Um, but anyway. It would presumably still have to be about Loch Lomond to a degree for it to be the first version.
1: Yeah. So then they say, a new version was printed by J. Sanderson, the Canongate Edinburgh, about 1838. In this we have the modern song, as it was sung by a poor boy on the streets of Edinburgh, and noted down by lady john scott and this in itself is a bit of folklore which i'll get into later because this also has kind of gotten muddled but mm. and then they say this version contains some of, some of mckney's words which proves the connection with the older set but they are not altogether familiar words with which we are singing lady john scott remodeled the verses and made a better song and a shorter one and i'm like okay that's your opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> um So they then go on to say much has been made by comment commentators of the song of the words the high road and low road connecting them with the rebellion of 1745 bringing out the meaning that they referred to a clansman condemned to death at carlisle taking leave of his sweetheart she would travel home by the road by road while his spirit would go underground i.e the low road as the song was not in existence in 1745 nor long after this explanation is just nonsense (laughs) Um so then they make a claim about the phrasing and they say the lines Yel tack the high road etc were a stock phrase from the old real folk song Mackers. these words occur in many of these old songs and even in song of the bo- even in some of the bothy songs of the northeast thus they really mean nothing in particular if that's what they think um <laughs> But they did provide both versions. So this is the Saunderson version, Um, so I'll read that now and it is a bit different um, than the traditional one, but you can definitely recognise it. Okay. So it goes, it's yon bonnie banks and yon bonnie braes, where the sun shines bright and bonnie, where I and my true love went out for to gaze on the bonnie bonnie banks of of Ben Lomond, because it's not Lomond. Mm Wait, did I say what this was called? It's called Flora's Lament for Her Charlie. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So then it goes: It's you'll tack the high road and I'll tack the low road, and I'll be in Scotland before you, for I and my true love shall never meet again on the bonny bonny banks of Ben Lomond. It's not for the hardships that I must endure, nor the leaving of Ben Lomond, but it's for the leaving of my comrades all and the bonny lad that I love so dearly. With his bonny laces, shoes, and his buckles so clear, and his playdoer's his shoulder hung so rarely, one glance of his eye will banish dull care, so handsome the looks of my Charlie. Except I think it's probably meant to be Charlie because then that will rhyme with rarely, but anyway. Uh, but as long as I live and as long as I do breathe, I will sing to his memory fairly, my true love of taken by the arrows of death and now Flora does lament for her Charlie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is supposedly the version that was printed that time and then they have this version which they call the perthshire farm servants version and that goes on yon bonny banks and on yon bonnie braes where the sun shines bright and bonny, where i and my true love went out for to gaze on the bonnie bonny banks of loch lomond mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you get the chorus you'll take the high road and i'll take the low road and i'll be in scotland before you for i and my true love will never meet again on the bonnie bonny banks of loch lomond his bonny lace shoes and his buckles say clear, his plaid over his shoulders say rarely. One glance of his eye would banish dull care and say handsome the looks of my charlie As long as I live and as long as I draw breath, I'll sing to his memory fairly. My true love was taken by the arrows of death and Flora laments for her cheerily. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of idea, but in that one it becomes Loch Lomond. Sure.
0: I also think it's interesting that so many of these, it feels like we're suggesting flora is in love with charlie Mm. but um we just have no proof of that everyone's decided it would be a great story yeah
1: (sighs) and i think if not in love with him they want her to be in love with the cause
0: Uh, yeah at least um but uh, you know and presumably she supported the cause to a degree she Mm. did take a notable risk um, exactly how much unclear. Um, she belonged to a Protestant family. She married some other guy, um, (laughs) after meeting him. Um, and her husband then served in the English army in the Mm. American war, I believe. So Mm. she wasn't like a supporter of Mm -hmm. Scotland or nothing. Um, She was just a woman who probably didn't want to see a fairly young man die. Because I think Bonnie Prince Charlie was like 25 Mm. or something um, at this point in time. So around her age, he's traveling with a cousin of hers. That's some of how they reach out to her and think that they can trust her for the permits to travel she just doesn't need to be in love with him to help him. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It makes it a better story. Yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> I love romance as much as the next person, but <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. just saying. <laughs> yeah. This is another piece of folklore that we all like and it is fun to parallel with the other broken-hearted lovers in the song. Mm-hmm. But also is groundless as far as we know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting that these versions, they kind of have the spirit of James Hogg's Flora MacDonald's Farewell. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They have the spirit um, but neither of them have the, um, the line about wildflowers spring and the wee birdies sing that the traditional version has. Um, and it's claimed that then Lady John Scott writes the version that we're familiar with. Okay, based on these, mm. um, it's slightly more complicated than this, but I'm about to go into that. <laughs> Basically, it says that um, it says that she based her version on Flora's l- lament for her Charlie, and that she overheard a poor boy on the streets of Edinburgh singing the Perthshire farmer servant's version. Um, but <laughs> there, uh this Piping Times periodical is published in nineteen seventy. Um so it is a bit while after it. So now I wanna go <laughs> and talk about a version that was published in eighteen seventy-six. Um so this is published in traditional ballads and airs by W. Christie and the late W. N. Christie. Um and this one goes again it's quite familiar but there's some variation uh it goes on yon bonnie banks and yon bonnie braes where the mm-hmm. sun shines bright till the gloamin There, my true love and me spent money happy days by the bonnie bonnie banks of the lomond though you though you tack the high road and i tack the low i'll be in old scotland afore you but trouble is there and money hearts are sere by the bonnie bonnie banks of the lomond We'll meet where we parted in Yon Shady Glen by the steep, steep side of Ben Lomond, where in deep purple hue the Heilan hills will view, as the moon shines aftly out through the Glowman. There the wild flowerets spring and the wee birdies sing. So then we get that line and mm-hmm. it sounds just like the way um, James Hogg puts it with the wild flowerets. And the waters in peace are sleeping, but the broken heart will ken, nay second spring again, and we now mun be content, though we're greeting. Which is sad.
0: (laughs) Yes, Yes, uh, greeting is uh, very mournful crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: And I found a few other sort of random versions, but um, they're just kind of random wandering versus, like, some variants that people have come up with. Um, But I want to just get on to where I found, um, I think, the most definitive version we're going to get of what has happened. Mm. Okay, so this is a version that appears in a periodical published in Aberdeen from 1892 to 1913 by A. Brown called Brown's Bookstall. And... They have quite a lot to say about Loch Lomond in the two versions, so I'm just going to read out what they said about it. So they said, Lady Scott's name has also got associated with another of our popular Scottish songs, the Bonnie Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond, and a word or two anent this may not be out of place before we close. Nothing is said about this song in the above volume, but in a well-informed column, devoted folklore, ballads and songs in an Aberdeenshire newspaper, Mr. Gavin Gregg, one of our leading authorities on folk song and music, writes, The first appearance of the song in print was about 1840, when it was published by Messrs Paterson and Roy in Edinburgh. The verses, seven in number, were given as arranged by Finlay Dunne, as, as well-known Scottish musician of that day. It has been established that previous to its publication, the song circulated for some time in manuscript, and that its composition was then generally credited to Lady John Scott. As far as is known this is the parent text of the song. So this is what Lady John Scott supposedly wrote and it's called Bonnie Loch Loman."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and it goes um, by yon bonnie banks and yon bonnie braes where the sun shines sweet on Loch Lohmann where we haste past say many happy days on the bonnie bonny banks of Loch Lohmann. Oh ye'll tack the high road and I'll tack the low, and I'll be in Scotland afore ye. But trouble it is there, and money hearts are sair on the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. We'll meet where we parted in yon shady glen on the steep, steep side of Ben Loman, where in purple hue the heeling hills we view and the moon looks out for the gloman. Mm. Still fair is the scene, but ah how changed are the hopes we gondly cherished. Like the watery gleam, like a morning dream, on Culloden field they perished. Amoni that met and freely did rove, now mang the bracken are hiding, and men good and true are hunted for view, and exile or death are abiding. With this fair youthful face, and his native grace, his platy in the breeze waving lightly, his buckles shining clear, his very sight did cheer. O handsome were the looks of Prince Charlie. O brave Charlie Stuart, dear to the true heart, I could refuse they protection like weeping birch on the wild hillside how graceful he looked in dejection the wildflowers spring and the wee birdies sing and in sunshine the waters are sleeping but the broken hair it kens nay second spring yet resigned we resigned we may be though we're greeting and that's it yeah. <laughs> that is the most original version of the traditional one that I can find But it gets more exciting (laughs) Uh because i found the romantic version as well um so what people were saying about the romantic version is one of the people who sort of covered it in more modern time was matt mcginn and he claims he found it in an old songbook Mm -hmm. and people were like did did he just make it up then i don't don't believe that he actually found it in an old songbook But right on the next page of this publication of Brown's bookstall, it's right there. Amazing. Um, and about it, they say its latest form, that in use by singers now, consists of verses one, two, and seven, and the chorus after each, and verbal alterations and transposition of phrases such as are common in traditionary song. Mister. Greg continues, "She, Lady Scott, afterwards communicated to Sir Noel Peyton a version." which she said she and her husband picked up from the scene of a little boy on the streets of Edinburgh. Mm. So the version that they pick up from the poor boy in the streets of Edinburgh is not another sort of variant of the traditional one, it's, it's the, romantic the romantic one.
2: one.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read it out, it's like really similar to the one um, that we read at the start. Yeah, it's almost so. It's mm-hmm. almost unchanged.
0: Um, some slight differences but which would make sense if we'd kind of lost it and then he found uh-huh. found it in an old songbook and then everyone's using the same that he read out it hasn't had the time to be kind of slightly mutated mm-hmm. yeah so this one goes
1: a wither away my bonnie bonnie may so late and so far in the gloaming the mist gathers gray or merland and bray a witherling art thou roman I trysted my ain love, the nicht in the broom, my Ranald far loves me say dearly, but the morrow he marches for Edinburgh tune, to fecht for the king and prince cheerly. Yet why weep you say, my bonny bonny may, your true love for battle returning, his darling he'll claim in the might is fame, and change into gladness her mourning. O weel may I weep, Ye street in my sleep, we stood bride and bridegroom together, but his lips and his breath were as chilly as death, and his heart's blood was reed on the heather. Mm-hmm o dauntless in battle as tender in love he'll yield near a foot to the foeman but never again for the field of the slain to moira he'll come and Loch woman, oh he'll gang the he road and i'll gang the low and i'll be in heaven afore him mm. for my bed is prepared in the mossy graveyard among the hazels of green and for mm. this thistle sh- shall bloom and the king haia zane and fond lovers meet in the gloamin and i and my true love will yet meet again far aboon the bonny banks of lot woman. So I think the main difference is the version we read out at the start says me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond and this one is kind of like we will meet again but we'll yeah. be dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There? So yeah, that's that and What's that and they had much more they had much more to say about it. <laughs> Um, so I'll read that out and then we can, um, then we can discuss it, because I thought what they had to say was really interesting and it's also funny because they say that, they say that, um, Loch Lomond is clearly literary and modern, but it kind of is modern to them because these versions are just from 50 years before their writing. they're writing at the turn of the um century so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so the publication goes on to say mr greg pronounces these versions clearly literary and modern and we quite agree with his finding Mm. there is nothing of folk song about them though the tune seems to come from that quarter the question of authorship was put to lady scott by the editor of a recent work on scottish songs and she denied being the writer and reaffirmed the story of picking up the fragment from a street singer this must be accepted as final as the world as the word of lady john scott was above suspicion <laughs> it also it is also confirmed as being about that time a street song by the late john forbes robinson who told the presenter writer many years ago that he took it down from the singing of a cared lassie in the Gallowgate aberdeen before he went to London in 1844, and he was so taken with the air that he introduced the song to the notice of more than one singer in London some time after. William Black the novelist took exception to some of the lines as rubbish, (laughs) and he doubted the story of their being picked up from the singing of a little boy in Edinburgh, but his criticism will not pass muster with those familiar with street balladry. The street singer is primarily a beggar, and the sense or nonsense of any of his lines do not concern him. Mm. If the air is catchy, anything will do, and he invariably extemporises to the best of his ability, where memory fails him. Printed street balladry can give any amount of examples. The whole thing appears to us to be exactly what the publishers of 1840 say, By a lady. The air soon carried it to the street, and then transformations began. The lady may have had some prior lilt to work upon. If so, she has completely obscured it. It is just a modern Jacobite, and in its earliest forms, as such, worthy of a place alongside many of the post-effusions in the same line found in our songbooks. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I
1: think what they're saying is that it must have been... They believe it really was written by a lady before this young boy.
0: Yeah. Which makes sense, because... You know, this young boy would likely have been illiterate. He's not going to know about... Mm -hmm. uh, You know, I mean, if he sings for his supper, he'll know enough about rhythm and rhyme and things like that, but
2: Mm -hmm.
0: there's no reason that a young boy would make up a song about Culloden, necessarily. (laughs) That would come from someone... Mm-hmm. older, maybe with a bit more political interest maybe hoping for some kind of propaganda mm-hmm. that then a child on the street hears and realises it's popular
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, like that feels very plausible
1: yeah, and I saw I saw another kind of criticism of that story mm-hmm. might have been from the same guy to be honest um, but he was basically saying Peasant boys in Edinburgh don't think about the Highland Hills, which I just thought was really (laughs) rude. That's like saying you can't dream of anything, like you can't dream of anything beyond what you know in your daily existence. Like, of course they think about the Highland Hills.
0: (laughs) Yeah, especially if it's this legendary, mythological place full of romance and adventure and honour and nobility. That's kind of exactly what people dream about. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, especially young boys who are maybe trying to whip up any latent sympathies so that they have some money to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, it was it was really exciting to find the romantic version in such an old publication because and right alongside the traditional version, like it suggests that they're both just exactly the same age, basically as far as we know. And mm-hmm. um, because the romantic version is really hard to track down online, like there's like really limited sources and throughout all of my research I never came across it until it just happened to be in this one mm. as well
0: Yeah Yes, and it would suggest a bit like some of the other ballads that we've covered, that there's quite a few different um, versions It shows how naturally plastic these things are, and that it is fairly reasonable to think that there is this older tune of Loch Lomond. Mm-hmm. You know, people write a couple of different versions of it around the same kind of time, depending on their own sympathies and choices. And then because they all spring up around the same kind of time, looking back, we don't know which one actually came first or who wrote them. We just know that they are genuine pieces of folklore. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a little explanation for part of the, um, it was a guy who was imprisoned in Carlisle sort of myth. Mm -hmm. Um, And I promise this is the last poem that you're going to hear me read. (laughs) I wish I could, I wish we could like sing them or put on a musical performance and then it might be more interesting, but that's not going to happen. So, (laughs) um, so basically, uh, in 1876, Andrew Lang, uh, published a poem that is sort of an answer to Loch Lomond, and it's kind of supposed to be read together. Um, and either this is where the legend about the Jacobite soldier imprisoned in Carlisle, either this is where it's invented mm. or it had already come about and he draws on it.
0: Mm. Um, Mr. Lang. Yeah. I think we've covered some of his tales before.
1: Yeah. So what he says is, there's an ending of the dance and fair Morag safe in France and the clans they have paid the lawing. And the wadi has reign, and we to our left a lane free o' Carlisle jail in the Dawing, So ye will tack the high road and I'll tack the lay road and I'll be in Scotland before ye. But me and my true love will never meet again by the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond. For my love's heart break in twa when she ken the cause fa. And she sleeps where there's never name shall waken. Where the glen lies ah in rack wi the hooses tomb in black and her father's house forsaken while there's heather on the hill shall my vengeance ne'er be still while a bush hides the glint o' a gun lad with a man o sergeant more shall i work to pay the score till i wither on the waddy in the sun lad so you'll tack the high road and i'll tack the lay road and i'll be in scotland before you but me and my true love will never meet again by the bonny, bonny banks o' loch lomond
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that's it that's the that's the folklore about what Loch Lomond is about it's that it's that song (laughs) yeah by Andrew Lang so there we go that's pretty much all I have on the journey to tracking down um the original (laughs) um I found it
0: interesting (laughs) I hope it was okay overwhelmingly the thoughts that I'm left with is it's interesting that so many people are repeating the same chorus from different perspectives and different contexts. And so it's now absolutely impossible to decide what high and low road mm-hmm. mean or if they ever meant anything. Yeah. Um, or if it's just a nice juxtaposition like we like to have in stories and songs. Mm-hmm. And basically everyone's trying to read too much into it. The other thing, as I often think whenever we're doing this, is just how much these stories get modified mm. over time in the different locations and that it would be interesting. I feel like and this might make me lose a lot of respect um, in the eyes of a lot of people here. But basically, you know the beginning Is it Ice Age 2? <laughs> Stop, I know. but <laughs> So, I hate myself but I'm going to power through with this. <laughs> um... Manny tells the story, and then the one of the children goes, Oh, I think he should have left with the girl instead of gone back home to his family. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Well, when you tell the story, he can do that. Mm-hmm. And it just. Like, that's just such an obvious and easy and simple explanation. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we can over intellectualize why things change. Yeah. And it's just this person who told the story liked it more, and a lot of the listeners liked it more as well. Mm -hmm. So even if this isn't a quote-unquote legitimate scholarly alternative translation or version, or whatever, Mm -hmm. it still reflects the interests and the choices of the people from then who wanted to tell that side of the story and that version of the story.
1: Yeah. I imagine... Like, I find the romantic version to be a much more complete story Mm -hmm. and kind of more compelling, but I think the other version, the traditional version, you can see why that one caught on more, because it's got the repetition, it's got the constant references to the same place, and it's got the kind of, like, just recurring refrain of high road and low road in Scotland. Yep. And there's not really a mention that I can see in the um, romantic version of that part of the song ever being used as a chorus in that version yeah, it just seems to go right through and not have like a specific verse chorus separation
0: yes which makes it harder to sing and harder to hold on to mhm Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a coffee page, which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.